Welcome back to From Hevel to Eternity. I'm Brian, and this is my Bible study podcast. I am recording this episode late because of the events that occurred on Capitol Hill today, Wednesday, January 6th. I'm not a politician, and I'm not here to talk politics. I am here to share Jesus and to study God's Word. Today I saw violent aggressors committing illegal acts on the property of the American Capitol building. That breaks my heart. But more than that was that some of those people carried banners with Jesus' name on them, as if these actions were God-incited actions of destruction and rioting. I want to say unequivocally that those actions do not speak for me. I want to plead with any of my listeners who are not Christians. Please do not let these actions taint your view of Christians, Christianity, or my Savior. A Savior who is Lord and King over all the earth, yet who the Bible says emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. Yes, the death of the cross. My Savior, who also implores us that blessed are the peacemakers. We should remember that on this night. Today we're finishing up the book of Micah. Last episode was the Micah overview episode, where we covered the structure and the overall theme of the book, as well as where we dove into some of the personal application that we can pull out of the book. Micah is a book that crisscrosses between messages of judgment and restoration. God sends Micah to prophesy that the northern kingdom of Israel would be destroyed, and that the southern kingdom of Judah would go into exile. We talked about breaking the book into three sections. Each section starts with the Hebrew word Shema, calling God's people across all of time to listen up and hear God's word in a transformative way. Then, It's followed by messages of judgment that are then also followed by messages promising restoration. The book of Micah cries out for us to hear of God's judgment, but also hear of God's plan for restoring his people through a shepherd king who would come out of Bethlehem. I posted a three-day reading plan for the book of Micah on the From Hevel to Eternity Facebook page. I highly recommend you check that out. Each section is probably a 10-15 to minute read, and each section contains each of those Shema, Judgment, and Restoration sections. Today we're going to jump around and geek out on some of the nerdier aspects of Micah. You could say this episode is about diving into the note-taking margins. If you have been reading along with us, maybe it'll cover some of the areas that you were curious about. Today we'll highlight how history reinforces the spectacularly accurate prophetic message of Micah. How the books of Jonah, Micah, and Nahum all relate in a linear historical fashion. How some of the Hebrew words and locations actually paint a beautifully poetic portrait of their surrounding verses. We'll try to unbox a confusing passage in Micah, and then we'll dive into how some of the early Christian leaders viewed some of the passages in Micah. So I pray that you find this episode interesting and fruitful, but that it also spurs your desire to read more of God's amazing word. Let's dive in. Therefore, I will make Samaria like a rubble heap of the field, like places for planting vineyards, and I will pour down its stones into the valley, and I will uncover its foundations. Micah 1.6 
Therefore Zion for your sake will be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem will become a heaps of rubble, and the mountain of the temple like the high places of a forest. Micah 3.12 So how did the prophecy spoken through Micah hold up to history? The book in no uncertain terms proclaims that the northern kingdom would be destroyed by the Assyrian Empire, and that the southern kingdom will experience exile at the hands of the Babylonians. Well, per the Bible, Assyria did sweep down and destroy the northern kingdom. 2 Kings 18.11 starts, The king of Assyria carried Israel away to Assyria. And Assyria also started to capture towns in Judah, but were halted prior to Jerusalem, as 2 Kings 18.13 says. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib king of Assyria come up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them? Then the Bible also tells us that the Babylonians, who are also referred to as the Chaldeans, did successfully destroy Jerusalem where Assyria had failed, and they did carry the Israelites into exile. Second Chronicles 36, 15-21 Yahweh, the God of their fathers, sent to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of Yahweh arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought on them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men in the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young men or virgin, old man or gray-headed. He gave them all into his hand, all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of Yahweh, and the treasures of the king and of his princes. All these he brought to Babylon. They burnt the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all its palaces with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels of it. He carried those who had escaped from the sword away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. For as long as it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So the Bible backs the prophetic words of Micah, but do other historical sources affirm these events? Do extra-biblical historians back the events promised by God? In short, yes. Historians tell us that the Assyrian Empire did indeed conquer the nation of Israel around the year 720 BC. They also tell us that the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar II, committed sieges upon Judah and Jerusalem in the 590s and the 580s BC. These sieges resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the Israelites being sent into exile in waves. It was three waves where they were taken. History also tells us that those exiles were in fact allowed to return to the promised land. They returned to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the walls, another validation of the prophecies found in the book of Micah. So this is not a theological theme of the book of Micah per se, but there's a theme throughout the book that Micah loves to use poetry to paint images in the original Hebrew text. For instance, there's this really cool play on words located toward the end of chapter 1 of the book. When the Lord, through his prophet Micah, is calling out these towns in northern Judah that are about to be destroyed, the meanings of the town's names play directly into the statements. Here are a few examples using the CSB translation. So verse 110 ends, 
roll in the dust in Bethlehafra. The town name Bethlehafra in Hebrew carries a meaning of house of dust. So in essence, the verse ends by saying roll in the dust at the house of dust. Verse 11 begins, depart in shameful nakedness, you residents of Shafir. The town name Shafir in Hebrew carries a meaning of beauty. So again, this verse is saying, depart in shameful nakedness, you residents of beauty. And the last verse that I'll do is the end of verse 114. The houses of Aksib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Aksib in Hebrew carries a connotation of deception. So here the verse is effectively saying, the houses of deception shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Again, there's no theological themes here, but it's, I think, a really cool play on words that sometimes we miss out on in the English. He will be our peace when Assyria invades our land and when he marches through our fortresses. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. Micah 5.5 So this verse is one that tripped me up for a while. In its context, it is speaking of the one true shepherd from Bethlehem who would be the everlasting ruler over God's people. That part is clear and isn't what tripped me up. It's the whole, then we raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men part. So I'm not going to pretend to clearly understand all of it, but shepherds are leaders, and leaders are obviously leaders. But the against him seven and eight is probably just an idiom for fullness and completeness. John MacArthur notes that it is speaking of the full and sufficient number of leaders, more than enough for the task. Another verse, but in the latter days it will happen that the mountain of Yahweh's temple will be established on the top of the mountains, and it will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion will go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Micah 4, verses 1 and 2. I wanted to share some early Christian thoughts on these two verses at the beginning of Micah chapter 4. Augustine declares that Christ is the high mountain about whom Micah prophesied, who will judge the nations with righteousness. Lactantius declares that the law to be given out of Mount Zion is that which revealed by Christ, replaced the law given to Moses at Mount Horeb. Look, Jesus is the high mountain, the righteous judge, the word of God, who is God. Let us echo the words of Micah. Come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. All of this history also affirms a linear historical relationship between the books of Jonah, Micah, and Nahum, which is the book that we'll cover next week. So the book of Jonah concerns the Ninevites, citizens of Assyria, and their turning toward God. It also highlights the desire of the Israelite prophet Jonah for the Assyrian city of Nineveh to be destroyed by God. The book of Micah concerns those very Assyrians being used by God to destroy Jonah's nation of Israel because of how the Israelites were running from God. 
Then the book of Nahum, which we'll discuss next week, picks up the story of the Ninevites, just a generation or two away from the repentance found in the book of Jonah. Spoiler alert, in the book of Nahum, we do get prophecy about the Assyrians and the Ninevites. And they, by the way, had turned back away from God, and they too would be destroyed. No matter how faithful one generation might be, faith is not genetic and it doesn't come from a family line. D.A. Carson declares that the first generation we will believe the gospel, the second generation will assume the gospel, the third generation will forget the gospel. I implore you, never assume the gospel, never forget the gospel. Thank you for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. There were a couple in there from the Christian Standard Bible Translation, which I called out. Please pray for our leaders and our country. Until next time, I love y'all.